of the Sacred Feminine once again tonight. It's here where we speak truth to patriarchal power, to predator capitalism, and, um, you know, have the courage to propose a new normal. Yes, a new normal, so the 99% have a better quality of life. Because there is an alternative to patriarchal order, though the status quo prefers you not know it. It hasn't always been this way. It doesn't have to continue as it is. We don't need to be exploiting workers, the environment, humanity, and species on Mother Earth. We can have a world where women are equal and 70% of us don't retire in poverty or continue to be punished for the religious dogma of some men. Poor Eve's sin. And women have been made to suffer since that propaganda got thrown up against the wall and stuck. You know, the alternative is sacred feminine liberation theology, which we talk about a lot here. That's the sacred feminine as deity, archetype, and ideal, which I've written about in my books, Goddess Calling, described as comfort food to help us find our way during this evolution, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, and Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth. I hope you might find the time to check those out. And why do I tell you this at the opening of so many of my shows? Well, perhaps this will all help you reimagine, revision, reawaken, and reinvent the lives we all deserve. It helps give permission for that. Because as Arundhati Roy said, there's no such thing as the voiceless, only the deliberately silenced or the preferably unheard. And you know what? We don't want to be either. We all need to find our sacred roar. Well, thank you for being with me again tonight. I know you have many choices out there, and uh, your continuing to come back week after week uh, is truly, truly the gas in my tank. And thanks, too, uh, to Emma's Revolution tonight uh, for lending us uh, their music. Uh, that cut was uh, Peace, Salom, Shalom, which I think is perfect for uh, tonight's topic, which is about interfaith tolerance and acceptance and about raising religious literacy. Yes, that is uh, the, the topic that uh, is so important tonight. Uh, but I also want to um, remind you about some of the last few shows that, uh, that we've done here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. I'm hoping that uh, you will... Um, find the time to uh, take a listen uh, because there have been so many good things. Um, and uh, one of them was a salute to uh, the goddesses Sekhmet and Amaterasu. 
our uh, our sun goddesses. Yes, indeed. And uh, there were some other great shows uh, in the last few weeks. I'm going to uh, read just uh, a couple of those to you. Uh, we had the 20-Minute Daily Empowerment with Reverend Ava Park. We had uh, Charlotte Cressy talking about the foremother of ecofeminism, and her name was Charlotte Perkins Gilman, and her work goes back to the early 1900s. We had Sacred Plan Initiations with Carol Guyette, the Goddess Who Fell to Earth and History of the Hive with Andrew Koff. We had Accessing the Akashic Records. We had Sacred Transitioning. We had Indigenous Wisdom, Womb as the Soul with uh, Elder Larry uh, McCullough. He was an Aleutian um, Elder. So there's been some great shows there. So make sure uh, while you're busy this summer uh, that uh, you go back to the archives and, uh, you know, you check out some of these. And that one I mentioned to begin with, the salute to Sekhmet and Amaterasu, that's actually up uh, in the archives now by request of listeners. That was a talk I gave um, on summer solstice, Father's Day, at uh, Emerson Unitarian Church. I was invited there to guest minister and talk about fire as an archetype, talk about who the fire goddesses are and why they're so relevant to us today as uh, women and men as well. So, um, as I said, I think there's some interesting stuff uh, put in the archives very recently. So have a look if uh, you haven't had a chance yet. Also, some very important housekeeping, uh, even if you've hit uh, the follow button on my show page there on Blog Talk, if you've done it before, um, you must hit it again, because it seems uh, some of the notifications that uh, used to work were somehow deleted with some upgrade they did, and you might not be getting notice before the shows uh, as you once had about the guest uh, that was, uh, you know, coming on each week. So if you want to stay connected to Voices of the Sacred uh, Feminine Family and not miss the great shows coming on each week because you might not be on my email database uh, getting reminders that way, just make sure you hit the follow button and that should take care of it. Well, uh, tonight, um, as I said, we're going to be talking about the important subject of interfaith tolerance uh, and acceptance and uh, raising uh, religious literacy. And um, the person we're talking with is Marilyn McFarlane. And I'm going to read uh, her short bio to you just so you can get a feel for her before we start our chat. Marilyn says, uh, one of her passions is the search for common ground. A lot of religious people devote themselves to insisting their beliefs are superior to others. And what could be fruitful discussion too often is a mere trading of opinions that turns into argument and hostility. We can do better than this. Marilyn says she tries to connect with people of different religions and cultures whenever she can and to encourage others to do the same. Her book includes a page with the golden rule as it's expressed in different spiritual paths. And her book, by the way, the title is Sacred Stories, Wisdom from World Religions. Um, she says, uh, I have it as a poster on my office wall, the golden rule we're talking about, um, a reminder. And... Um, 
Marilyn was born in Seattle, and she's lived on the West Coast almost all her life. Uh, she's been a newspaper reporter, TV news writer, blood drive organizer, secretary, editor, ghostwriter, freelancer, and for 30-plus years, a full-time travel writer. Well, we have a lot in common. Uh, one of uh, her favorite uh, parts of travel writing is seeking sacred sites around the world. She decided to write sacred stories when she couldn't find a book for her grandchildren. She wanted them to know the stories of different religions without bias. And as far as she knows, there's still no other book like it. She lives in Portland with her husband, John, who is a retired attorney. So, Marilyn, welcome, welcome to the show tonight. Thank you, Karen. I'm so pleased to be with you. This is wonderful. Well, you know, I think this is a very important topic, you know, interfaith tolerance, acceptance, um, you know, religious literacy. I mean, everywhere we look, um, there just seems to be uh, quite the opposite, you know. Uh, you know, we're, we're living here in the United States, and, uh, you know, the majority religion here is Christianity, and so often we hear that this is a Christian nation as if, you know, nobody else really uh, has any rights. And In fact, in California, there's such a thing as Tier 1 and Tier 2 religions. And if you're not in the big three... Uh, which are the Tier 1 religions, you really don't have the religious freedom uh, as the Tier 1 religions. And, um, you know, it's frustrating when we grow up being taught about, uh, you know, religious freedom in our Constitution because it might be written there, but the the practice of it, I think, is a whole different ballgame, don't you think? Yes, I definitely do think so. And uh, I also think that it's important to know about other people's religions. What are these religions and faith and spiritual beliefs? Just so we'll be, well, as you, as you said, um, it's, so we'll be, we'll be literate and understand what, what they're about, whether we believe them or not, which many don't. Well, and, and I think... Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to do that. I mean, it's hard for us to uh, learn about other religions. I mean, I know part of, um, you know, the work I had to do as a minister was study uh, religions, you know, comparative religions. And I think sometimes people who do that end up knowing more about other religions than the people who are of the faith. You know, I, I think about growing up as a Catholic in New Orleans, and I probably learned more about Catholicism and Christianity after I had left it <laughs> than I actually knew about it when, you know, I was still in that bubble. Um, so, you know, sometimes I think it, it's hard to even speak to people of other religions because their their own idea of their religion is so distorted. That is so true. Um, in fact, I think there was a recent study done um, showing which groups of people understand the most about their own religions, and by understand I mean just have some knowledge of of what their foundation is. And um, there is a surprising, at least it was surprising to me anyway, the lack of knowledge that so many people have about their own religion. It's just something that is part of their lives or they take without question or don't even know much about. So, you know, that was one of the reasons I wrote this book and find that a lot of people want it because they don't know their own stories. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and I think there's so much uh, diversity amongst even uh, people who claim to be of the same religion. I mean, think about all the different sorts of Christians we have, and we have different sorts of Jews and different sorts of uh, Muslims, and, um, you know, we have cafeteria Catholics. And um, so, you know, it, it it's really difficult when, um, you know, even the people of the same faith aren't on the same page. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about, you know, progressive Christians versus the fundamentalist types, you know. Um, you know, what's okay, what isn't okay, and uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And I think when you have all of those sorts of wedge issues floating around out there, it's really difficult um, to find common ground and... I know I, I um, struggle with it, and I wonder if you have tips uh, for us who would like there to be less polarity, um, you know, and, and, and wish we could get some meaningful dialogue going. You know, how do you reach the person, you know, who's in their bubble and, um, you know, thinks it's their way or the highway, so to speak? Yeah, um, I, I I understand, and I do have some things to suggest. Uh, you know, everybody has their own beliefs that they they, they treasure. Um, but I thought when I wrote the book, I'll tell you what, how this happened. I have a number of grandchildren. I have four daughters, and they've given me some wonderful grandchildren, and I wanted them to have a spiritual life, of course. But I also wanted them to know about other religions just so they would have some reference point, so they could have something so that they could judge for themselves, you know? And um, so I looked around for such a book, and I couldn't find one that would just tell the story because the, the brain is wired to learn through story, after all. And that's a way to teach children at a young age, this is what this belief is, this is what that one is, and here's why. Here are the stories around it. So... The book that I wrote is is geared to children, but I've had a lot of adults tell me they want it for themselves because they don't know these stories. And at least they'll have a reference for understanding things like what just common common phrases like what is Good Samaritan? Why are hospitals called Good Samaritan? Who know, a lot of people don't know that. And mm-hmm. um, what is a sacred cow? Um, nobody knows. I mean, many people don't know that that comes from Hinduism. So. These were things that I wanted them to know. But I also thought that if you are educated, you have a better uh, ability to judge for yourself, to understand what different religions are about, so that you're not basing whatever knowledge you do have on fear. And I think this is one of the places where we can come together. By learning these things, you can um, you can avoid that fear of the unfamiliar, and that is, I think, is a, a big help. And so, in my so book, in other words, I include, in other words, if you're talking to somebody of a different faith, having read these stories, you sort of have a jumping-off point to know a little bit about their religion, and um, you know, maybe uh, it, it, you know, so you're, it, you know, so so you're not totally unaware of, say, what Hinduism is or what Buddhism is or Native American spirituality or something like that. Yes, exactly. 
that's that it, that is it. Then you have something to base a conversation on, and and you can talk about your own faith if you have one by explaining. Not which doesn't mean defending. It just you have a place to start talking. And this is why I mentioned the golden rule. That's a good starting place because of, to find some common ground, because it is in every religion that I've come across as some version of do unto others as you would have them do unto you, um, which is, you know, a, the thing we kind of base our community on, be sure. your neighbor. And, and well, uh, and honestly, I, I if, if people start. It, yeah, the golden rule would be a good place to start. And if, if um, you know, uh, candidly, you know, if, if everyone just followed that, uh, you know, there wouldn't be subs- such suffering and exploitation and poverty and uh, domination and, and all of that because you wouldn't, you know, do these things to the earth or other people, um, you know, just because they're different than you or because you can or because you want something they have or whatever it is. No, that, that's right. That's right. And yes, that's pretty darn basic just to, you know, be nice to other people, but it goes it goes further than that. And um, it, like in the book, one in, in my book, Sacred Stories, it's wisdom from world religions. It's a, the wisdom of each one. Whether you uh, you don't have to agree, you don't have to follow the dogma of any particular one, but it's good to know about it. And uh, for example, one story is out of, from Christianity that I include in the book is the Good Samaritan, which was Jesus' parable about helping someone who is not a friend, not a, well, he's a stranger, but he's not only that, he's an enemy. And then in the Islam section, there's a story about a dog and how this person was helping another creature that he didn't want to be around, didn't want to, didn't particularly approve of because of their feelings about dogs. But he did it anyway because... This is what Muhammad said. Be good to creatures even if you don't agree with them, if you, even if they are adversaries or enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a rule that that rises above the rigid, strict rule. And right. if we could you know, get together on that one, that would be really good, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, it makes me think about, uh, you know, some of the Bedouins and indigenous people in, in you know, parts of the Middle East, um, you know, have this, I don't know if it's a if it's a cultural tradition or a spiritual tradition, or I know sometimes it's hard to know where one stops and the other starts, but, you know, this idea of hospitality, you know, they're supposed to extend, you know, hospitality to strangers and treat them well, you know, if they find somebody along the road or something or somebody wanders up to their house or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know they're supposed to share with them what they have. Um, you know, as we would hope, um, you know, someone would do for us if we found ourselves, uh, you know, vulnerable or in dire straits or something like that. Yes, and that's a that's a word that you just used that I've uh, found tr- to be true. Hospitality is one of the things that other that many religions have in common, um, and they they're all unique and different, and they and they're used as an excuse in some horrifying ways. But there are some things that are the same, miracles and parables and creation stories, um, hospitality, 
mercy and service and compassion, all the things are in there. They just are expressed in these different ways and sometimes ignored in favor of, you know, striking out at someone else. So if we can find some way to connect with other people and other beliefs and find that common ground, at least that's a place to start so that we can work toward peace, which is what everybody wants or says they want, except for a few warmongers, not so few, but, you know, people are out there too. But I'm talking about the the major part of the world, by far most people in the world say we just want peace. And, you know, the one way to get to find it is to just come together and know someone who has a particular faith that's not yours. Well, you know, I mean, I know it's probably, you know, uh, sort of a, a, you know, it's we're oversimplifying this, obviously. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. the average person, the average person wants peace and, you know, doesn't have anything against people of another religion or people of a different skin color or people who live across the world and we know nothing about them. You know, we, at, at, at our core, we all want the same things. We want to be loved. We want to be happy. We want to have a nice family. Um, you know, we want good things for the people that we love. You know, we all want the same things. And uh, sometimes I think if people were left to their own devices instead of governments, um, you know, with the ones with the power, um, you know, I wonder if, um, I mean, I don't know how that would happen, of course, but, uh, you know, it seems like you always find people are willing to, um, you know, reach out a hand, but, you know, maybe it's governments sometimes that thwart um, that, um, uh, you know, that, that, that creation of of the common ground, you know, because they may have different priorities, you know. Um, sure. So, uh, so getting back to your book, uh, Marilyn, uh, Sacred Stories, mm-hmm. Wisdom from World Religions, how many different uh, religions um, do you cover in the book? There are seven, you know, out of the hundreds in the world. <laughs> I chose seven uh, religions or spiritual paths and took five stories from each one, I just wanted the basic stories that the religion or faith was based on that are the most common, that tell what it's about, and put them in simple form. I used the closest I could get to an original or or at least a classic version of the particular story, and of course in an English translation, and then I consulted with lots of experts and people in each religion and field and asked them to check what I'd done, make sure it was right. And then I put it into terms children could understand. So it's a simple book, but it it tells the stories. And then I have a little introduction to each religion, too, to explain a little bit about what it's about. Okay. And there are some little little sidebars that tell um, give a little context to a story such as why elephants are important to Buddhism and and what what the Good Samaritan refers to in today's world and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when we teach our kids um, respect for different religions, you know, is, it, is, is there a trick or, um, you know, or a tip that, you know, how we can teach the, you know, kids respect for different beliefs while also um, you know, I guess parents probably, um, you know, want to impress upon kids their values of their own religion, you know. Um, mm-hmm. how, how, I mean, how did you manage that with your grandkids and kids? 
Well, that's that's a good question. The way that I address it is, and I think uh, many other parents do too, is to say this is what these people believe, and I want you to know it and understand it. And this what this is what so and so down the street believes. Um, but the, and that's fine, and we respect it. And he has every right to have his own beliefs, and we don't say that it's wrong. But our way is this way, and here's why: we think that this is this is the best for us. That does mm-hmm. not sit well with a lot of people. I I know because they want to uh, proselytize and have everybody think believe their way because theirs is the only right way. But mm-hmm. I see it as there there may be some since there are these basic similarities and things that people, that religions have in common that's what we have in common the the all the differences we can we can address and we can accept that everybody doesn't hear the message in the same way mm-hmm. in fact there's an there's an islam a phrase in islam that says that Allah only presents his message in a way that someone can understand it. In other words, mm-hmm. in his own culture or her, of course, mm-hmm. uh, or time or family, the way, whatever it is, that's what you can understand. And we need to accept that people have different ways. Also, I loved your word evolution that you said earlier, because I do think things are changing. Um, well, it's not just me, it's all over the place that um, the the whole spiritual world is in people are moving towards different ways, just adjusting towards different ways of thinking. Um, the use of the feminine, recognizing the feminine face of God, and mm-hmm. the fact that in, that even that there are female ministers in Christian churches. When I was a child, that was unheard of. Couldn't imagine such a thing. And now it's I so know. common. I mean, nobody gives it a second thought. And I'm sure you've encountered this yourself many times. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and people will... And just similar things. It's changing. Yeah, I mean, people will, you know, see that I'm a minister and they don't even understand that, um, you know, that there are ministers in, uh, you know, some of these other faiths, you know, ministers... Uh, uh, it, it, it's really amazing sometimes when you start to talk to people and um, you realize the lack of awareness, um, you know, of, of of other people's of other people's religion. But like you said, at the at the heart of so many religions, there are these. I you know, I I sort of call them universal truths. You know, and mm. and then the 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 rest is just window dressing. You know, it might be male dogma, it might be female dogma, uh, but the universal truths, I think, um, you know, at the heart of it, uh, you know, I think about, uh, you know, probably, you know, Jesus's message of love, you know, is not that different than the golden rule or hospitality. Um, you know, it's sort of different ways of sort of. Uh, saying how to be in the world. I do think, too, that we can make a difference by focusing on positive change and making things... I know that can sound just like a cliche, and I'm not saying, you know, the power of positive thinking necessarily, but I to to 
fight against, I don't even like the word fight against, to deal with all the tribal um, conflicts and all the um, agendas that that uh, different people have for trying to have their own way in the world, for oppression and for conflict and strife. It's everywhere, but... It, you know, if we can make a difference, even even one person can make a difference. You may not True. see it right away, but I really think we can, and we have to find some way. We we start where we are, and there are many faiths in the world, uh, and we just deal with them where they are and try to understand them, try to recognize what they're about, and find ways we can relate to each other. So some of the things that I do is I visit different churches and temples. I go to pagan celebrations, certainly, and uh, I do a moon festival or something. I go to Buddhist events. I try to get to know people, and I do ask friends who are in different faiths to talk to me about them, tell me about them, and maybe we can find a place to find some some of that common ground and understand Mm -hmm. those universal truths. Mm-hmm. And I tell the kids the stories, and I try to tell them not as like folk tales or these foreign superstitions or something, but as a religious mythology that really reflects beliefs that are worthy of respect. Yeah, yeah. Because if if you say, yeah. listen to this strange story these other people have, isn't it funny that they uh-huh. believe this? Well, that sort of defeats the whole purpose. You have to, you know, you have to present it as something credible and viable and validate it. I think in the in the minds of the children, especially if that's your audience. Yeah, and that that can be hard to do because you might look at something that seems very foreign and you want to ridicule it or or uh, tell your kid this is really not something to pay attention to at all. But I think, as you say, it defeats the purpose. I heard someone yeah. say something recently, and I'll, I'll just finish that little thought, if I may, that um, when we were talking about uh, showing respect and tolerance for other religions that were really wanting to you know, be tolerant, and this, this minister said, I don't want that. I want to go beyond that. She said... I want more. I want to approach these with a glad curiosity. And I loved the phrase because it's so much more positive than, yes, I'm going to be tolerant, which is a good thing, but it doesn't go far enough, I think. We we really see, I'm really curious about this religion. Tell me more. doesn't mean I want to believe what you do, but I want to know how you feel. Yeah, because, you know, when you say you're being tolerant of something, it me I don't know, it sort of has that edge to it. Like, well, uh-huh. if, I got it, if I got to, I guess I will. You know, you know um, it exactly. doesn't have the same enthusiasm as, um, as the phrase your minister said, you know, to that uh, they're interested, having the, uh, you know, what was, what was the expression? A glad curiosity. Okay, okay. Well, you know, your publisher, Simon and & Schuster, um, and uh, Beyond Words, you know, that's a, that's a mainstream uh, publisher. Um, when you included, um, you know, Native Americans and the Sacred Earth, I mean, I see that seems t- perfectly normal to me, but I can maybe understand maybe in a more, with a more mainstream publisher, um, uh, you know, maybe that seemed odd to them, or has there been pushback from, you know, other folks 
who, you know, maybe aren't so well-versed in all the different religions of the world, um, you, know, were, you know, has there been any kind of pushback when you included, um, you know, Native American spirituality in the book? You know, I kept expecting it, and I didn't get it. A very little bit, and and I got some odd things like at book signing. Someone would say, "Well, why didn't you include this religion?" And which was some, you know, their their personal uh, belief. But I kept expecting people to say, "Why would you put in Native American? That's not a world religion." And uh, and nobody did. So, and my publisher. <laughs> This book came out first in a very large book, colorfully illustrated, called Sacred Myths. And I think then then that went out of print. You can still get it like on Amazon and different places as a used copy, um, but it's, it's out of print. But this new one, uh, the second version, same stories, um, is uh, it has it has some differences in it. But and I still have not heard anything. I didn't hear anything from Simon and Schuster about it. And my original publisher said, when I asked about it, I said, "What do you think? I'm putting these in." And she said, "It's your book. Put in what you wanted." So I said, "Fine," because I, that was important to me. To, and, and I do think that the sacred earth piece of it reflects what's happening in the world as more and more people. They might not label it uh, with you know pagan or whatever it might be. There are many names for this, of course. Um, they might not even want to put a name on it, but it is so becoming so much more prevalent, this belief that everything in the natural world is sacred and should be yeah. treated with, with respect and love, and you don't try to separate yourself from the rest of nature. As so with was, changing was, climate in the world and, and globalization, it's, uh, it, it seems like that, that's more and more happening. Right. Um, it, well, I'm wondering, in the seven, uh, was goddess spirituality included? I think probably not. Uh, I, well, let's see. What did I call it? I'm looking at my little list here that I said. This spiritual path has been called paganism, neo-paganism, Wicca, goddess religion, eco-feminism, the old tradition, African tradition, and, you know, other names. So, I did definitely include some of the old, oldest myths and stories, in part because they are the oldest. I wanted to mm-hmm. go back. I went back to Gaia and mm-hmm. uh, some um, in the Wheel of the Year and some Greek myths that were pre-Hellenic myths uh, that people are familiar with, but with a little that are a little bit different because they are pre-patriarchal. Right, um, right, and I and an and an African there's an there's an African myth about a a goddess Mela because she is still worshipped in many parts of Africa, and mm-hmm. there's a nice myth that I, I that came actually that I found in a in Merlin Stone's book on um, on goddess religion. Yeah, yeah, she has um, some the ancient mirrors of womanhood was that. That yeah, yeah, that's a um, that's an old classic. Like that. Um, yeah. So, uh, do you mind me asking, Marilyn? Do you, uh, you know, what do you call your your religion or your spirituality? What what nourishes you? <laughs> um, you know, I guess I'm a 
goddess worshipping Buddhitarian. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, you know, so many of well, us are eclectic. <laughs> there ought to just be. A, oh, there ought to just one. be. Or eclectic, you know. Um, well, I guess that's well, the uni- Unitarian Universalist, right? <laughs> I do go to Unitarian Church, um, but as I say, I visit, you know, on Easter I went to a Presbyterian church, um, particularly in in honor and respect of my ancestors, my parents, and people before them were all uh, devout Christians, and I can respect that. Certainly, I just don't follow the theology. But mm-hmm. I certainly value a great deal in it, and of course have immense love and respect for them. So I try to include that too. And also, I have learned over time to take so much of this metaphorically. I don't have to take those religions quite as literally as mm-hmm. I once did, and uh, and which I rejected. I can see them in a different way, and so mm-hmm. I can accept parts of all of them, which I guess. Yeah. Is partially what unitarianism does right well you know i'm i'm wondering uh well well let me preface this question by saying um i was i was pleasantly surprised when i interviewed a woman um about an anthology she had put together and uh the name is escaping me at the moment but it was basically about goddess spirituality or maybe she would maybe classify it not so much goddess spirituality but people whose beliefs were starting to include a feminine face of god and her whole anthology was filled with you know, people from different walks of life that were doing that. And I was amazed that not one of them was a Wiccan. Not one of them was, um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. w- w- we would recognize as, as a goddess person. So it was wonderful to see the feminine face of God awakening outside our little bubble, you know, because sometimes we think we're the only ones. But now, you know, but then immediately I knew, well, we certainly weren't. You know, the feminine face of God was sprouting shoots, you know, everywhere. And I guess mm-hmm. I, I wonder from your perspective, um, you know, uh, you know, the, or how quickly and, and where um, do you think, you know, goddess spirituality uh, is, is sprouting up? You know, what does it look like when you look out there and sort of make an assessment I see much more attention being given to the feminine face of God, which is a a good phrase for it, I think. Some people back off at the idea of goddess spirituality. I mean, you know, some of us are very used to it, but when it's something new, people get very uh, back off on it. However, because it, things are changing rapidly, I see in Christianity, certainly progressive Christianity, there is continual shifting. There are no female priests in the Catholic Church yet, but look at what the Pope has been saying. Mm-hmm. All of these attitudes and changes are going the, that direction towards bringing in more attention towards the the female history of a particular religion, all the books out about various historical, I mean, various women in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New, attention to w- women in Buddhism, 
in the past and to women in Islam. This is all, and, and of course in Hinduism, they're male and female everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, it is a whole shift, I think, in attention, and it's it's happening as we speak. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. Well, um, yes, right. It's about time. <laughs> and 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 you know, I you know, I've interviewed some folks who um, have been at this a lot longer than I. Uh, you know, they were really uh, even more of a tra- of trailblazers. And um, you know, they they say to me, Karen, you know, thirty or you know, we we don't think it's moving fast enough. You know, sometimes we just can't see. The evolution, you know, and I think it's because we, you know, we maybe make one step forward and it's two steps back or something like that. You know, we're just sort of mm-hmm. slogging through. And, you know, so it's it, it's not always obvious, I think, that we're in the evolution. But they would say to me, Karen, you know, have faith, have hope. It is changing because 30 years ago, my house was threatened to be firebombed because people learned I I believed in a goddess. You know, and today, you know, this person who said that, I mean, he's like a major player on the world stage, you know, and everybody knows he's into goddess spirituality, you know. So I guess things are moving um, very quickly, just not quickly enough for those of us who want things to vibrate on an even higher level, you know. Probably the earth is shaking beneath the feet of so many people who are scared to death of these wonderful changes while we feel like, you know, can't we ratchet it up some more? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, and and you're mentioning they're scared to death. That's a big, big piece of it all. They're all the more resistant because they're afraid and don't want to embrace something new. They don't want an open mind. They want those strict rules kept in place so they don't have to think about it and not be uh, frightened. And so there's going to be a harder pushback because of that, there's always that reaction. Yeah. Um, when I was, uh, I was going to say that when, in the earlier days, a um, number of years ago, I kind of came at this from a feminist standpoint because I started reading all these goddess books and learning things about where people had come from in finding this sort of thing, this, this spirituality. And a friend and I started a a goddess-oriented group, and part of it was simply to learn more. So mm-hmm. every month we would gather, we would have ritual. We would we were trying to tap into something in the ancient past and bring whatever we could up into the present day. Uh, given that you know we can't know, but mm-hmm. we can use what we what we can find. Um, and it was very helpful. We did that for probably nine years. Met wow. every month and had our talked about a different goddess each time, trying to bring things together. And that didn't mean that we gave up whatever our particular beliefs were that people had, but it was it was becoming more whole, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know, and, I, and what I find really wonderful is um, so many more men are coming to this. Um, you know, we, we're getting, you know, many um, evolved, aware, aware men who understand that this isn't about, you know, women taking over the world and subjugating them like women have been oppressed. 
um, you know, some of them are just really getting it. And I and that's why for me, you know, like when I go out and talk about this, I always talk about the feminine face of God, you know, from the aspect of deity archetype and ideal, because I feel like that way, even if I run across an agnostic or atheist, if they're in the congregation or wherever I'm talking, you know, if I talk about it from an ideal perspective or an archetype perspective, then, you know, then they realize, look, we do have common ground, you know. If you're a morally ethical person, you can be an atheist and still have common ground with somebody who's practicing sacred feminine liberation theology, you know. And, yes. um, and, and you know, and, and that's, you know, and, and sometimes I think um, if if the world if the world shifted and we didn't necessarily mention God uh, or let's say deity as gender, but it shifted toward a more caring, just, fair partnership world, I could be happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because Helen, it's, it's yeah. It's really the ideals that we're trying to, I think, um, uh, achieve as much as it is. You know, if you're somebody who, um, you know, that th- that that would be that would be a good thing to achieve. You know, even if we couldn't convince people that, gee, maybe there is really a Sekhmet up in the heavens, or an Isis up in the heavens, <laughs> or a Kuan Yin up in the heavens. You know, <laughs> well, there is. There absolutely is, and and in right here too. But the thing is, these are myths. These are not people. We just have mm-hmm. a hard time with the imagery. And as as someone said in a lecture I went to, God is not a person. God is a spirit. <laughs> but what we have, we don't have the vocabulary. We have we have to use imagery so we can say God is a spirit and His eyes are upon you. <laughs> so. <laughs> What, you know, what, what do we have? We, and someone else said, secular people are starving for mythology, for sacred stories. We really need stories, which is as back to what I did with my book. That's how kids learn through story. There were when I went doing the research for my book, when I went looking for a book, actually, I couldn't find one with a story. They found lots of Bible stories and stories from other religions um, that were pretty much saying there's the correct one, I couldn't find just a collection of unbiased, here's what it is, easy to understand stories that children could appreciate. So that's why I put that one together. Interesting. Joseph Campbell says... Go ahead. I love Joseph Campbell. I was just going to say, Joseph Campbell said that when you're mythology does not keep up with what you know about the world or the universe, then it's going to fail. And I think our mythologies are beginning to shift and change so that it can keep up with what we know about the world. We are no longer thinking that, you know, something that we see, that a cloud is an indicator of um, God's wrath or something like that. Right, right. We know where that came from. So how can a secular person, you would treat me with this, you know, the stories for secular people, um, can, what type of stories, um, I guess what I'm saying is, would God, you know, would would stories about goddesses be interesting to secular people? I mean, or would you have to take the spiritual aspect out of it? I mean, 
um, and were you? I, I, well, let me rephrase that question. When when you went looking for secular stories, I I think is what you said you were doing. Could um, uh, you you had difficulty because almost everything had some sort of uh, religious overtone? No, not really. I wasn't looking for secular stories. I was looking for the, just stories that would tell the basics about about important or, or major religions, but, but certainly the ones that are best known in this country. And um, it, I I don't know what the mythology would be for people who are not interested in any kind of, of belief system of a, of a faith, but. I think it's beginning to happen through the Gaia concept, through our recognition that this is our blue boat we're sailing on. This is a magical mm-hmm. planet, and we'd better take care of it, and our mythology can grow around that and yeah. perhaps put a put spirit into the natural world. Yeah. So the Native Americans did it. And yeah, restore a lot it. of goddess spirituality does re- respect more than respect, feel a reverence for the natural world, for the trees and the butterflies and the slugs and everything. And yeah, a lot yeah. of writers are doing that. You can find books and stories galore that are doing very, very similar things to those kinds of stories. And perhaps that's going to become our new mythology. Take the take the old, use the best of it, and Carry it on somehow. When you're, yeah. I thought when you said, um, "Oh, you just want to move a little faster," and people are saying, "Think about 30 years ago." Um, I was thinking it's hard to keep your eye on the stars when you're just trying to slog through the mud and make something happen. <laughs> you know, it does seem too slow. <laughs> yeah, but on yeah, the other hand, does. you know, it wasn't that long ago that things were very different. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you turn on the news and you feel like you just have a bunch of Neanderthals, you know, trying to, <laughs> you know, drag you back uh, to to the Stone Age, you know. And, I think that's um, insulting to Neanderthals. <laughs> true, true. Well, and, and you know, when I, um, you, know, I, you know, I guess it was born of my trying to understand uh, the difference between liberals and conservatives, uh, quite frankly, and Democrats and Republicans generally, um, when I discovered the amygdala, uh, that our brains are really wired differently, you know, and and some people really are, you know, there's a physical reason they're more fear-based. Um, you know, then, you know, that brings in a whole nother, uh, aspect in a way to all of this, you know, because uh, and, and then I started interviewing people. Well, so how do you overcome someone whose amygdala um, is, you know, pumping out this fear all the time? Um, and and they really said, you know, every everyone I talked to over and over again said it it boils down to having being able to create some sort of a personal connection and um and being able to try to develop empathy and love and that's the only way you can sort of bring this sort of fear-based person around and uh i i just found that really interesting you know um the virgo in me i guess what can i say but um <laughs> but but yeah. that there's more to it you know um you know why 
you know, why some people are kicking and screaming and, you know, uh, need to be dragged along. And, you know, and the rest of us are, you know, riding the roller coaster with our, our hands up in the air, screaming with delight and love the adrenaline pumping, through, you know, through our veins and the others are holding on white knuckled, you know. <laughs> I love your I love your images. <laughs> Picture that roller coaster, but um, I've heard I've uh, heard about that too. The amygdala and the and the wired differently or physiologically. But I just that is a that is such a dynamite dynamite issue. I don't know. I I'm, I can appreciate though that it's true for any of us. To have a personal connection and try to help someone overcome fears, that works for anyone. Not always, but that is, seems to be the one sure way that people can use and that does mostly work. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see, you know, you can read endlessly and you can listen to preachers and and sometimes something will click. But I do think that empathy piece and that understanding that you don't have to be so afraid, you can open your heart and your mind, that takes effort and it takes somebody understanding you mm-hmm. or willing well, yeah. to take that step. Yeah, because, you know, I, I kept, you know, one of the themes I kept hitting on, you know, was how do we break down all the polarization, you know? And I couldn't mm-hmm. help but but think, look out there and see how the gay community has um, just broken down so many, um, you know, so much resistance to them in a relatively short period of time. And I think it's because people started realizing that, you know, the person sitting next to them at work, the person, you know, that that they've known, uh, you know, I don't know, of all different sorts of ways you could, you know, know people, you know, at work or your friends, and suddenly you find out they're gay and you realize, well, gee, they're, they're a great person. There was nothing to be afraid of, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of, um, you know, maybe that, um, you know, that, that same thing with religion um, but of course, you know there's there's the extremists and the fundamentalists who are really scary people. You know, I mean, I've mm-hmm. I've interviewed women who have escaped the Quiverful movement. You know, of the Dominionist evangelicals, and um, mm-hmm. you know that you know there's some scary people, as are the terrorists out there who are hijacking, you know, Islam. Um, I, I guess I just wonder, you know, what what you think about that? You know, how can we have a positive outlook when you have um, Christian terrorists and, you know, Islamist terrorists? Um, you know, and, any advice? I think, well, part of that, I mean, it's absolutely true. There's terrible evil in the world, and... We cannot close our eyes to that and pretend that, oh, just thinking nice thoughts is going to change, take that away, or being nice to people. And we try our best. I think that we have to be within ourselves, have our own personal spiritual strength. Meditation helps with that. 
and then we can go into the world and just do what we can, just light that one little candle and try to make a difference and try to live that life ourselves. And if um, you encounter some of this evil, you you say, yes, it's there, and I'm going to keep on living the way that I need to live and do whatever small thing I can do and hope that that will help in some way, and you may not know it. But that's the existential part of it. You just live it anyway. Yeah. Because that's who you are. Not because You don't live the way you live because of what somebody else is doing. You live the way you do because you need to live it. I say yeah. you. I'm talking about me, of course, and all of that. And uh, this, you know, that the whole terrorist thing, uh, they say oh, it's Islam, it's Christian. It's their own inner fears. It's tribal things. They're using religion as an excuse to do mm-hmm. what is, they feel is they must do, which is defeat somebody else and be oppressive or in greed and corruption. That's all in the world there, and the media takes full advantage of it. But, right. Uh, and and puts and tries to make us scared. I don't want to fall prey to that. I don't want to let that rule my life. Yes, it, yeah. it is there, and there's no question. And I I do live, because by virtue of living in, in this country, I live in a bubble of privilege in some ways, at least when I don't have to encounter something that, <laughs> that is terrible on the street. But, I mean, I'm not in a place where I'm being... In living in fear every day that my house is going to be bombed or something. Yeah. Well, um, well, we're about uh, we're coming up on the hour now, Marilyn. I mean, the time just flies so fast. Um, your your book, uh, Sacred Stories: Wisdom from World Religions, it uh, it has a, a wonderful teachers and parent guide as well. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's important. Well, I'll give it a quick mention. It's very useful. For the teachers and parents, it's used in religious education curriculum, and parents use it at home. It's free. You can download it um, from my website, MarilynMcFarland.com, or you can download it free from uh, the Simon and Schuster site, which is a long, <laughs> it's a it's a long link, um, which I don't know if you want me to get into here. I will if you like, or I can just send it to you, and perhaps you can post it or something. Um, sure. Yeah, case, let's do it like that. If if anyone can't right. find it through your your own website, they contact me mm-hmm. and I'll it's put them in touch with you. All right. And uh, the, the teacher's guide gives um, all kinds of discussion suggestions, activities, and a lot of material on how how does this story affect you today? What does this mean to you now? How do you, how does it affect what your behavior is? That kind of thing. And so people find have found it really useful. Uh, so, you know, if you want to get it, you can have it for free. <laughs> well, that's and, awfully uh, generous. Um, okay. <laughs> well, it used to be sold. And Simon and Schuster said, let's give it away. So it's fine. It'll be well, that's in the world. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. I, I, I love that. Um, well, Marilyn, um, you know, it is, uh, you know, would you like to... Um, you know, sort of leave uh, leave listeners with any particular thoughts. Um, you know, I, I think I've asked you all, um, you know, uh, you know, all the burning questions in my mind. But is there uh, anything that uh, you know you'd like to say that maybe I didn't think to ask? 
Well, I might add, um, just as an on an ending note, that uh, of course I think it's good to to share these stories and to get to know about other people's faiths, but but in particular get to know about other people of other faiths because as you say, when you know someone at work or or at school or wherever it is that is different from you, you lose some of that fear. And I think if we learn a little bit about each other's spiritual paths, you know, if we reach out and make personal connections, I believe we're on our way toward peace. Yeah. Yeah, I do too, you know, and and sometimes I think about it, I I, uh, sort of use a metaphor uh, of food. You know, um, we can live our life eating white bread, you know, the same old, same old, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just bland white bread. Or sometimes, you know, we can mix it up and eat gumbo and stew and, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. paella and, you know, all of these different things. And, you know, and what makes for a more interesting uh, life, you know? Um, I don't know. I'm just the type of person who likes uh, I, you know, likes the diversity of different things. I, I get bored with the same thing over and over again. And uh, I don't know, I wouldn't want to live my life on white bread. <laughs> well, you have a glad curiosity, Karen. That's, that's <laughs> I guess I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. um, well, I think that's probably a, a, a positive note uh, to leave things on, uh, Marilyn. Thank you. Um, for uh, you know, for writing the book, and or uh, um, you do you still have your your uh, your circle going, or do you have any other projects on the horizon right now? The no, that that circle dissolved, perhaps partly because we realized that the feminine face of God is now appearing all over the place. We didn't need it so much anymore, um, and. Uh, and, and you asked me something else. What was that? The uh, uh, the circle isn't still going, but oh, oh yeah, about other projects. Oh um, yeah, uh-huh. yes, I am becoming more involved in interfaith work and cooperation. This is where I never expected this book to lead me there, but that's what has happened. And so I've given a, a talk at a Muslim uh, center recently, and I gave a talk the other day at a Unity center. Uh, I've done things at Buddhist temples. And so I'm just trying to establish connections with as much as I can. And, you know, I wouldn't expect other people to necessarily be interested in that, but to find some way to bring some diversity into their spiritual lives, I think, is uh, very mind-opening and heart-opening. A woman walking her talk. I love it. <laughs> well, well, Marilyn. Well, thank you, thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world, and uh, and stay in touch. And uh, if anything newsworthy comes up, uh, please pop me an email, and uh, you can come back on the show and uh, share it with listeners. Well, thank you very much. I'd love to do that, and I've certainly enjoyed talking with you. Okay. Well, thank you. I I did too. It's very important topic: uh, diversity and common ground. Thank you, Marilyn. And good night. Good night. 
Well, dear listeners, um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And um, moving along, um, let me uh, give you uh, Marilyn's uh, email. I'm sorry, her website one last time. Uh, Her website is her name if you want to get in touch with her about that a teacher's guide or any of the other work she's doing or have questions about the book or our interview. Uh, her website is her name, Marilyn McFarlane, M-A-R-I-L-Y-N, M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-E. And her book was published by Simon & Schuster with Beyond Words. And it can be purchased at stores, online, and it's in libraries. And as she said, the teacher and parent guide can be downloaded uh, for free. Uh, and there's a there's a link here to do that. And if you want it and can't find it, um, you know, just get in touch with me, and I'm happy to um, facilitate that. Um, now, a few announcements on some other subjects. Uh, I wonder if you knew that the Goddess Temple in Orange County in Irvine, California. Uh, you, you maybe you've heard of it, the Orange Curtain. Yes. Um, it is opening its membership to awesome and aware men. Yes, indeed it is. Uh, yes, uh, men who want to stand side-by-side women as they lean in and lead. Men who want to be in partnership with women as their allies and understand the damage patriarchy has done all genders. Men who aren't afraid of women of substance who are working on empowering themselves and being the best that they can be. Well, guys out there, if that sounds intriguing, um, you should go check out the Goddess Temple in Irvine on Fourth Sunday when the temple opens its doors to families and all genders. You can meet the many other men who lend their energy to creating community and growing the Goddess Temple of Orange County, which is now in its 10th year. Uh, This year, the temple is doing more than ever to lead the world toward goodness. Every week, uh, because members support it, the temple is open to the public and visitors from all over the world come in to experience the feeling of the sacred feminine and how it uplifts the spirit of humanity. Um, They do a Venus Hour every Friday afternoon from 5.30 to 7.30, where great discussions take place in the lounge over lovely libation. You know, it is a sacred space that exists only in a few rare places now. And how many cities that you know of have a brick-and-mortar goddess temple? I know there aren't many, okay, so very, very few. Um, I have to say the temple and the priestesses have supported uh, me and my husband, Roy, for the past decade. We've learned from them. Uh, We're strengthened by the goddess temple, and we want um, that uh, for other good women and aware and evolved men. And, you know, uh, as a member of the community, uh, we would love for you to visit the temple some Venus Hour, maybe during a Joseph Campbell Roundtable or on a fourth Sunday. And, um, you know, maybe you can even meet us there and we'd be happy to show you around or introduce you to the other gentlemen of the temple and be part of the life-affirming community. So I just wanted to share that because, you know, some people just automatically assume the Goddess Temple is just for, um, for women. And, you know, it really is not. It certainly is not. Uh, But membership uh, is open now for women and men. And, you know, even if you don't live in Southern California, um, wouldn't you think it's just a cool idea to be uh, even a member from a distance? You know, if you support the work that they're doing in the world, you can say, yeah, you're a member of one of the few 
expanding goddess temples on the face of the earth. You know, we donate to Sierra Club or to Emily's List or to uh, Greenpeace or, you know, all sorts of other groups that are, you know, because we know they're doing good things in the world, you know, maybe, um, you know, animal rights organizations or, in, uh, you know, all sorts of things out there we, we send our money to. Um, so if, uh, you know, if maybe you can afford uh, $25 a month, uh, you can become a member of the Goddess Temple. And, you know, it's not really just about the money. Um, I mean, if you've fallen onto hard times, you can actually become a member for a dollar a month. Uh, you can go there uh, not even being a member. Uh, you can just go there for free and, you know, uh, just enjoy it enjoy it. So anyway, I just wanted to share that because uh, their membership is open and, um, you know, I really wanted uh, everyone to know that uh, membership is open to awesome and aware men as well as women. Well, um, I think uh, that will probably uh, do it for my announcements tonight. Uh, I want to close with um, a word from Joe Carson. So stay with me uh, for the next few minutes, and um, I'll be right back on the other side of this commercial. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree is. And I came out of it. This is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, that was uh, Serena Roney Dougal and. Um, that's uh, just one of the uh, the experts that you can hear in the film uh, of Joe Carson's called Dancing with Gaia. Uh, Dancing with Gaia explores the connections between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book, uh, mini and you know what? It only costs 20 bucks. It's a deal. Uh, you can get your own copy at DancingWithGaia.com. So um, just want to remind you that uh, the Goddess Spirit Rising uh, Conference in Simi Valley, north of Los Angeles, is coming up uh, the middle of um, September. I am very lucky to be uh, giving a talk on reawakening our earliest sacred stories. Um, that will be on uh Friday, I think that's probably September 10th. Uh, I believe it's the second Friday of the month. Um, I'm also going to be leading a panel on Sunday, and it's um, uh, the working title is "Is Goddess Sexist?" Well, of course we know goddesses and sexist, but the point of the panel is to talk about the need. Um, to embrace men and people of fluid gender within goddess spirituality. So um, those are two of the things I'll be doing at the conference, um, as well as uh, hostessing um, the screening of the documentary Femme, Women, 
uh, Healing the World. Uh, there's going to be lots of other fun and exciting things happening at the conference all weekend. And, you know, you can go for just the day. So uh, if you want to check out the presenters or maybe check out the costs, um, you can just go to goddessspiritrising.com. And uh, Simi Valley is about um, 45 minutes north of Los Angeles, if uh, that helps with logistics. And I would love to hear if any of you are going to the Council for the Parliament of World Religions in Salt Lake City in October. Um, pop me an email. Let me know if you're going to be there. Um, I will. I, uh, I'm still pinching myself uh, because I'm thrilled that I am actually going to be moderating a panel on the Friday uh, of the of the you know of the Parliament, and then on Saturday I've been picked uh, to give a talk. And it interestingly, you know, we've been talking about stories tonight, uh, the importance of stories. Uh, you know, with Marilyn McFarlane, uh, author of Sacred Stories, Wisdom from World Religions, um, my talk is actually on reawakening our earliest sacred stories. And, of course, uh, as you know, that is about uh, stories of the sacred feminine and how they could change the world if they were the stories at the center of our cultures uh, rather than the patriarchal myths. So uh, it's about bringing that idea to the fore and um, giving ourselves permission uh, to rethink the patriarchal stories, to rewrite the patriarchal stories, to dig deep and find the the shreds of stories from pre-patriarchal times. So anyway, um, let me know if you're going to be at the Parliament. Uh, I just bought my airline tickets this week. Uh, My husband and I are going and... uh, Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I also want to give a warm thank you um, and uh, kudos of appreciation to Dr. Jeannie Davis-Kimball, who uh, appeared at the Joseph Campbell Roundtable that uh, I sponsor at the Venice Library. She was there Saturday, and uh, a good time was had by all. And also Stephen Lindstedt, uh, he uh, was the speaker at the Goddess Temple, uh, for their Joseph Campbell Roundtable on Saturday, and uh, his talk was on uh, opening to heart wisdom. So uh, both Joseph Campbell Roundtables were a big success, and they will be returning to Orange County and Venice uh, in September. So I'll be talking about those uh, as it gets a little bit closer. More interesting topics ahead. Um, Well, that about does it tonight, uh, dear listeners. Uh, Please keep your emails coming. Uh, I like to know what you think. Uh, I love hearing from you. Your gas in my tank. And I think uh, I'm going to go back to uh, the music of uh, Emily's uh, Revolution, uh, Peace, Salome, Shalom, uh, if I can just find it here quickly, and uh, let you just sort of hear that and let that... uh, play out tonight so uh, I think we're coming up there it is right here so uh, sit back for the next couple minutes and uh, enjoy the vibe and I will be back uh, next Wednesday uh, with Janet Surrey and uh, have another great and interesting talk for you next week so stay connected remember to hit the follow button so you don't miss uh, notice of uh, the shows every week So, um, saying goodbye tonight uh, with Emily's 
evolution, revolution, and peace, salom, shalom. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.